and welcome to the show. This week, I was a guest on Defenders Live. Actually, it was recorded a few weeks ago, so please excuse any news references that may be a little out of date, but it did air this week. Defenders Live is the live show of Defenders USA, a firearm and self-defense training company. So, of course, we discussed Second Amendment topics, how my mind was changed on guns, the latest 2A news, and more if you like what you hear. And I hope that you will. Check out the links for Defenders USA in the description. Thanks for listening and enjoy. So, Matt, welcome to the program. Thank you for coming on tonight. Um, Let's just start off with your background and your mission um, for those that don't know you so we can kind of get to know what you're about. Sure. Thanks for having me. Um, I I assume you mean like my online presence type stuff, like my... Yeah. Uh, okay. Matt so, Christensen Media. Very yeah, Matt is where you can find all my material. Yeah, I uh, I do uh, a couple videos a week solo where I'm trying to break down sort of a single topic and, and think about it critically and you know, go into as much detail as possible. And then I do a couple streams a week as well. Sunday night is uh, like a weekly news breakdown that I have a co-host for. We also take calls from our audience on Wednesday night. So there's kind of short form focused content. There's long form uh, sort of conversational content. And all of this is coming from, I suppose, uh, it's it's news and current events analysis from I shy away from titles, I suppose. But I consider myself to be a, a, a constitution focused person. Uh, uh, you, you might say libertarian or conservative perspective, I suppose. But I don't like to become ideologically boxed in. So. But that's that's pro freedom, pro liberty, pro constitution perspective is is the general idea, and uh, right. And so the yeah the website's mattchristensenmedia.com to find all of that material. Yeah, I originally found you when I came. I stumbled across your um, one of the uh, things that were voted on in Montana, the Born Alive. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that issue was just unbelievable. That that actually was voted on the way that it was it almost seemed like that couldn't be possible and so that was what first got me hooked on your videos and then from there I kind of rabbit holed into some other things and I thought you know this guy would be a really good guest to have on your perspective is very interesting and not only that um, what was most interesting to me was that um, your beginnings that you used to be sort of what could I say you used to be an anti-gunner and that you've changed your perspective on that or could I don't you know tell if us I would say is uh, I don't know if I would would use the title anti-gun but um, someone who was not really interested in guns as a day-to-day and I certainly I, I used to be a Democrat voter and so when you are when you're in that mindset and it's not necessarily an issue that is of huge concern to you you'll buy a lot of the the talking points, uh, the common sense reforms that we need, those sorts of things. But um, my interest increased over time. And especially as once we got into 2018 and there was the Parkland shooting and there was a lot more discussion about trying to crack down on this and crack down on that. And my political worldview had already shifted quite a bit at that point because I had seen prior, at least from my perspective, what I viewed as people, attacking free speech which has always been an important principle to me and when i saw what i what i saw was my side so to speak attacking free speech and that made me think well what else are they wrong about you start thinking about Mm -hmm. the how you apply your principles in the speech realm to how you apply 
those principles to the concept of self-defense and the right to arm yourself and all that got me more interested in guns as a philosophical matter. Then when, when uh, Parkland happened, there was a lot more talk about gun control and that, that uh, made me realize, well, this is, if they want to get rid of these things, I probably need to understand the technology and I need to know how to use all of this better. And I need to be prepared to defend myself. If they don't want me to have this, I should probably learn more about it. And so I went and got my concealed carry at that point, And it's been, you know, four, four plus years of building a collection that I have now and learning more about guns and trying to become more, more proficient. And I think, um, I, I've heard people say this. I've heard Steven Crowder and others say it, and I, I don't like to reduce issues to complete to just oversimplify things. Cause I think people can disagree on and have good information and disagree honestly. But I think the gun is- issue in particular does largely break down uh, among people who know what they're talking about and people who don't. And I think that I personally experienced that when I was, Wanting more laws and more regulations, I didn't understand anything about guns. I I couldn't tell you the first thing about how they even work. Like, what is it about pulling the trigger that makes it go bang? I had no idea. But I had this concept in my mind that we have to crack down on it. And as I learned more about the technology that it is and about the legal landscape, once you actually start going and buying guns, you realize, well, holy crap, there's like 50 forms I got to fill out and there's all this there's all this bureaucracy and all these things you can't put this attachment on it or else it becomes that and and then you realize like this is not none of this is keeping us safe at all this there's nothing right. about this that prevents a crazy person from doing crazy things if they want to and if the crazy person does decide to do crazy things uh it's it's up to me to defend myself and my family first and so that's a, a short version of how i came around to this philosophically and um and I'm, I'm I'm glad I learned that a little bit quicker because, of course, the gun market just went crazy the last couple of years. It's like if you're trying to buy guns or ammo, you know, since 2020, it's uh, you used to be able to afford things. Now you can't anymore, you know. Right. Yeah. And everything's just skyrocketing. And it's I don't see that uh, slowing down anytime soon. Yeah. Um, I do think it's interesting, though, you and you touched on this um, because I was going to ask you about the concept of personal responsibility. And for me, what I think that gun owners and concealed carriers uh, really understand and um, and take uh, they don't take it lightly is the idea of being personally responsible for your own safety. Mm-hmm. And so my question to you is why do you think that that's so important? And also why do you think that so many people seem to, to lack this accountability to be responsible for themselves? Yeah, that's a great question. I wish I had a clean answer to that, but, (laughs) but that is, that is the harsh reality that I don't have to be anti-police or anti-emergency responders or anything like that to recognize that if someone comes to do me harm, I am my own first and last responder. If they're late to arrive to the scene, I have nobody to help me other than me. If for some reason the police can't get to me, maybe there's some sort of obstruction or maybe they get shot themselves or something. I can't be helped in that situation. I think, I think it's just a comfort thing. Like we'd like to believe that there's some higher parental force. Like I I don't mean like God or something. I mean like a human force. Like there's just mm-hmm. good guys who will watch over us at all times and we're safe because of them. <laughs> and there, I hope that everybody has 
you know, good quality police forces in their community and that there are uh, capable emergency responders. But there's there's no unless you can afford a security person to live at your house 24 seven or to follow you around when you're going grocery shopping or anything like that. That is a fantasy. And that's a fantasy mm-hmm. that will be broken when evil confronts you in that way. And I think, you know, another another formative thing for me, too, uh, in deciding that I wanted to learn more about all of this and change the way I think about it philosophically was um, I can't remember if that was the same year, but there was the Christchurch shooting in New Zealand. Yeah. And yeah. and that one um, we had I don't know if that was the first, but that was the most high quality the, the guy live streamed it. He had a GoPro or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, so, uh, there's an argument to be made for not watching these things. But s- sometimes I, ju- I want to know what evil is present in the world. I want to know what that looks like, whether it's wise to look at it or not. And I did. And and it's 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 such high quality footage to see what happened. It's horrible, obviously. But in that situation, you've got all these people some of them are are on their knees begging for this guy to please show them mercy. You got people trying to stop him and barely missing, you know, like a tackle attempt, getting shot themselves. And it's like, all right, in, in a situation like that, I would hope that I would have the bravery to do something about it. But all I know is I, I'm not ever going to get down on my knees and beg for my life before a crazy person like that. You, you know, I, I'm not saying that he won't kill me. He might, but I will never submit to that sort of person and, and, and beg for mercy in the way that that happened when you see it. And it's not just a a concept. It's like a, it's on a clear video that you can actually watch. Yeah. The choice is very clear. I'm not, I I just, I will not submit to those people. And I don't think anybody should. So Matt, to that point, right. I spent a lot of time in the law enforcement world, right over a decade as a police officer. Mm -hmm. And I got to tell you, there's only been one or two times where I was actually present at the moment of crime. And though I wanted to be there and all my partners wanted to be there at the moment of crime, really when it comes down to it, you are your own savior. And if you can't do that, um, then we're probably only going to be there simply to clean it up or write the report. So I think you've touched on a really salient point is that's part of the whole process here is getting people to wake up that you've got to be responsible for yourself because nobody else is going to be there to do it. Um, on the other thing, on the the Christchurch uh, shooting that you talked about, I too caught the video. I think it's been mainly scrubbed from the internet, um, but uh, I caught the video that was live streamed that yeah. was there, and 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 I can tell you from experience that's what it looks like in those shootings. And I think that that's important for those who are one resilient enough mentally to be able to do so, but also curious enough to see what evil is like. And I'm so glad you were willing to do that to be able to see that because I think that's the awakening of the soul that people need to do to for those willing to do so and emotionally strong enough to do so to be able to see what evil is like from the other side so they can learn hey this is the things i need to do to begin to prepare myself to to protect myself and those that I love. So I got, I got to say from my perspective, I'm, com- I, I'm, I can't commend you enough for the resiliency of heart that it took for you to do that. Oh, well, thanks. I, I, I'm, uh, I appreciate uh, the kind words and, and it's interesting to hear it from the law enforcement perspective too, because that's not, that's not a part of my background at all. And I have no idea what it's like to, to come upon a crime scene and have to process all of that or have to intervene in a crime in, in progress or any of that stuff. But I think especially when I'm younger or when I was younger, it's just like and maybe a lot of it, too, is like, I, you know, I'm, I'm more grown up now. I've got a family. I have more to protect than I did when I was 20. Um, mm-hmm. 
that changes so everything. May, maybe that's a big change in it too. But I think there's just, it's like a, my, my younger self would have just thought, oh, you know, there's probably some uh, big tough policeman like Adam who's going to come, who's going to come take care of me if something like that happens. So who cares really? I'll rely on him. I don't have to rely on me. Not at and, all. You know, the, the chance that any of us are going to become victimized in the way that happened at say Christchurch or anywhere else, very, very low, but you know, that's that's the same reason you wear a seatbelt. Like the chance that I get in a car crash on my way into town later is next to zero. But I'm not going to I'm not going to I'm still going to protect myself uh, against the risk that that entails. And um, and so that's uh, and I that that's been the philosophy that's been developing uh, for me for the last uh, X amount of years. And um, and I'm really glad that that it's gone that way, because it just even just from kind of like a a tech perspective like firearm tech is really cool you know i i i I've, i'm not a good guy like for working with my hands um or working with my hands uh i i all i've done my entire life is read books and think about things so i don't have the skills to fix things or build things or make things but when the more you learn about guns and how all the parts fit together and how to maintain them and how, how they all operate like there's a lot of just fun in that too that's really captured my interest in learning about mm-hmm. this and uh and so that's that's been a great part of it too. Um, just learning how to how to work on things, how to work with things, how to build things. That's been uh, really enjoyable. Well, there are plenty of people in the gun community that can relate with that. Yeah, <laughs> there are tons of gun junkies out there for sure that just go, you know, rabbit hole diving into all of the all of the ballistics behind it and everything. I mean, yeah. you can go for days down those kind of rabbit holes. So. Yeah, you're you're preaching to the choir, that's for sure. So because of your experience, Matt, and and because of your channel and what you do every day, I wanted to touch on for our audience uh, some of the the current events, um, especially gun related, uh, that you think that the the two A community should be paying attention to right now. Do you have anything that mm. comes to mind, or a few things? that we should have on our radar well uh i'm i would guess that they probably have a few things for me to be honest but i think (laughs) what the most significant change uh that that we should all be paying attention to is probably the bruin decision just because the supreme court has reworked how second amendment claims are going to be evaluated in federal courts at this point now it's it's going to be this historical evaluation how the law in question say in oregon for example where they just passed this ballot measure how that um, compares to what has been uh, how that compares to historical firearm restrictions in this country, whether it whether it uh, will survive scrutiny or not. But the the, the and I'm, I'm not a lawyer, so don't uh, don't don't take my word for it. Do your own reading or consult someone who is a lawyer. But uh, um, a simpler way of understanding that is the the bar for uh, for states to clear to to for for all of these uh gun restrictions to be constitutionally square it's going to be a little bit higher it's going to be a little bit tougher and that's going to have a lot of implications for states like new york for example where the bruin case uh was uh, originated from and states like oregon with this ballot measure where uh, who knows if that's going to survive or not but uh it's it's so interesting from a political perspective uh because you see how divergent so many states are going now it's it's 
we have a lot of states, uh, Montana included, that have opened up, that we've become a constitutional carry state that where, where your gun rights have been expanded. And then you have a lot of these coastal states where uh, gun rights are are becoming more restricted than they ever have been. And, and places like California and New York, where they never see a gun restriction proposal that they seem to refuse. Um, but that's as far as like the politics of it, that's what I'm watching. I don't the, the, the stuff coming out of uh, the White House and, and some members of Congress about a renewed assault weapons ban and things like that. I don't I don't think that that stands much of a chance. So I don't I don't pay much attention to that or put a lot of stock in it. But there's no doubt that these states are going to continue and how the courts evaluate these these new state laws will probably be the biggest legal and political thing to watch. And I've heard some some sheriffs talking about that they're not going to enforce yeah. some of these laws as well. Have you heard that, Adam? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's a pretty common thing, at least yeah. where I come from, Colorado and Arizona. Nobody cares where I'm at now. But in Colorado, we've had massive amounts of sheriffs say, well, we're just not going to enforce these things because they just don't view it as constitutional. Mm-hmm. Well, in the Oregon thing, that's so... The thing that's so upsetting to me, I, I I have a personal love of Oregon. I went to college there. It's a great place. I would have stayed there if I could have found a job, but I couldn't. And then I ended up back in Montana and that's for the best anyway. But uh, I do love that state and there's a there's a lot of great places in it. It's it's like many states. It's overrun uh, or it's it's controlled by, you know, Portland. And a lot of states have their Portland that runs the rest of the state. But what is upsetting about it is it wasn't like. You know, these loonies who go to the state capitol or the governor there uh, just imposed this on the citizenry. They all voted for this by ballot measure. And the uh, just, just the concept that that people are, are voting to try to disarm their neighbors. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> that, number one, it's 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 disheartening because it's like, well, you should have more respect for your neighbor than that. But number two, it's actually the opposite of what you should want. I want to know that my neighbor has you know, that he's got a, a gun safe and he knows how to use the guns that are in it. Because if there's a threat that comes to my neighborhood, I want to know that we can handle it. I don't want to vote to to send and I, they're not going to do this in Oregon. But if we continue voting this way to send confiscation squads through my neighborhood or something like that. Um, it's the fact that this was uh, this was by the vote of the people, you know, and I I I I. I respect the will of the people that's an important concept i'm not dismissing that but when the will of the people is the violation of the rights of their neighbors and the confiscation theoretically the confiscation of their property um that's a problem that's a big time cultural problem and and that's worrisome it almost seems like it's really the return to a true democracy which to me is a scary thing versus a republic yeah. And uh, that, that's the scary thing, what I saw in the Oregon thing. It's the same thing that's happened in Hawaii, right, is they've restricted so many different gun gun things. Uh, same thing in New York. And it seems like more of a republic approach versus democracy would be better. You're exactly right. It's, uh, that was That's a point I always used to hear, and I thought it was more academic than anything. It's like, yeah, we... You know, we're a republic, but we have democratic mechanisms. We make decisions through the democratic process. But what you're really getting at is is the key point there that does our government exist to protect the rights of the people or does it exist to enforce the whims of the majority? And we might value majority rule in when it's appropriately limited, 
as in secondary to the rights of the people. But as soon as we just have tyranny of the majority, where it's 51% of people, it's, 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 uh, what's the metaphor? Two wolves and a sheep voting for what's for dinner. That's, that's what you get when you have unfettered democracy. And that's a quotable, Adam. <laughs> I did, I stole that from someone. I don't know where that you came did. from. You did. Oh, well, that's still a good um, quotable. But that, that is what pure democracy will, will get you. And, and that's why it's not an academic point that it, it for all the talk of our democracy being at risk and all of this, read the Federalist Papers, read anything from the founding fathers. Democracy was the enemy. Democracy was to be mitigated against. That's not that was not the founding purpose of this country. The 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 establishment of government, as uh, outlined in the Declaration, was not to serve the whims of the majority. It was to protect the rights of the individual and uh, and we're sacrificing that. And I think in the gun context, probably more than any. I mean, we think about all the threats to your speech rights, uh, all the threats to your to your you know, privacy rights in the context of search and seizure and all your other classic uh, Bill of Rights, constitutional rights. That that's another thing that's encouraging, though, um, for a right. That uh, that has been historically ignored by the Supreme Court to see them taking up some of these gun cases uh, and actually establishing some precedent to answer the the question of what that right to bear arms really means. That's encouraging, and uh, you know, as as someone who's been discouraged by political developments of the last uh, couple of years, especially, um, it's encouraging to see some some wins in that area, to see a little more definition provided to our Second Amendment, and I think to see some broader cultural interest in it, at least in certain places, if not Oregon or New York. But uh, but I, th- I think that overall, the, the trend in the country, I think, is maybe turning a little more pro-gun, a little more pro-gun rights, yeah. which is nice. Yeah. yeah, I would argue that the last couple of years have been... Uh have have been a wake up call for some people just in exactly the area that you're talking about um, with personal responsibility. And um, I've personally met a lot of people that that have changed the way that they look at their own personal safety because of a lot of the things that have happened over the last couple of years. So as, as much as we can say that it's, you know, not always been so great, I think there, there, there are some silver linings in that. Uh, I think it, a lot of people are reevaluating maybe, or maybe uh, something is awakening inside them to go, you know, uh, I haven't really thought about that before. Maybe I should start thinking about that. Maybe I should start giving some attention and focus to that. Can I flip the script and ask you guys a little bit about, how you arrived at that conclusion? Uh, have you always been the two way gun people or did something inspire that in you? Do you want me to go Adam? Go ahead. Yeah. I've always been pro two a, but I didn't realize the personal responsibility involved in actual, the reality of being able to defend myself and my family until I was confronted with an incident in my mm. life in 2016 that was, a, you could call it a, a near miss, although it wasn't, you know, literally a near miss. Mm. Nobody shot at me or anything, but it was a near miss. And that had that not gone exactly the way that it went, I might not be here today. Wow. And wake up call is an understatement as to what that incident did for me. It was a catalyst that, that lit something inside of me that went, 
wow, I never really considered that anything bad would ever really happen to me. Like many people, I walked around and thought, well, it could, but probably it won't. And maybe someday I should learn how to, you know, uh, carry and, and um, shoot a handgun. But yeah, I don't, that's down the road. I don't need to worry about that right now. But when that thing happened in my life, that near miss, so to speak, that was my huge wake up call. And it lit something inside of me that went, I will never, ever feel that helpless again. Mm. I will never, ever be in that position again, because being helpless and having no way to call for help is one of the worst feelings you can ever feel. Mm. So I'm, I'm lucky that that's all that it was, that it was just a wake up call. But that for me, that's, that's what happened. Wow. So Matt, in answer to your question, right. I, I, I did not grow up in this country. I grew up in West Africa. Hmm. And uh, so it was a missionary kid. So in that context, right, because in West Africa and a lot of countries in the world, as you know, uh, firearms are not allowed unless you're a very select class of people. And so because of that, the crime there was so high. Now I moved around a bit in Africa and of course around the world. And in that case, I saw over and over and over that, all over the world, things are far less safe in America, yet here we are the most armed society in America. So that was that was uh, impressionable upon a young mind. On top of that, I had the I had the fortune of growing up in a in a one a I would say a Christian home, but also a reader's home. And so I was constantly had access to books from the from from old England, um, from early colonial days in America, from the beginning days and all. And so I grew up reading those things, both fiction and nonfiction of those era. And and my parents, too, pushed, to say, the Federalist Papers and all these different things that spent a lot of time reading the historical context uh, of America. And, and and I saw, having lived it in countries where firearms were not allowed and, and saw the amount of crime, but also reading how, how the founding of America and on, how that I think created the greatest society the world has ever known. And really through the force of one free speech and two, the force of arms to be able to protect that free speech. And, and so to me, it's almost as if from birth and through the raising as a young child, that was uh, there, there was never a catharsis moment say that maybe you went through or Laura went through because that was kind of ingrained in from the beginning through the study of the founding and, yeah. and so much of our older era. And so to me that, that became a natural, thought process and the fact that we have New York's, we have California's, we have Hawaii's, or really you think the geo, uh, uh, geopolitically, the Great Lake states, the 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 eastern, uh, certainly upper eastern seaboard states and the western coast states, uh, coast states that they, they're just so anti-gun, yet the heartland of America, which is uh, really generally more crime-free, more everything compared to the others, and yet that's where the more guns are there. That kind of cemented all the beliefs that I'd grown up reading about and learning about from the founding of our, our, our fathers. And hmm. I, I guess, so that, that led towards where I became later in life. Yeah. Solid philosophical basis. That's uh, yeah. Uh, I, 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 I will raise my son the same way. He's one year old now. And I think about how we're going to educate him, how we're going to keep him uh, away from all the bad ideas or not keep away, but to understand why the bad ideas are bad. And to understand why the the values that built this country are morally correct and uh, practically successful, to to your point, um, Laura, it was interesting to me that you mentioned uh, 
uh, the, the attitude of thinking that that would never happen to you. And mm-hmm. a lot of times opponents of, of arming yourself, I've, I, I often hear the argument, you know, statistically, if you have mm-hmm. a gun or you carry a gun, it's much more likely that you'll injure yourself or potentially someone else <laughs> than it is that you'll ever, then you'll ever defend yourself in a, a situation in which someone attacks you. And, uh, I've, <laughs> I've always kind of laughed about that scenario playing out in out uh, in my head because it's like, well, what am I supposed to do if someone does them? I'm going to say, oh well, at least this is a statistically unlikely death that right. I will That's take solace in that, that your head. as you shoot me in the face because I have no exactly. ability to stop it. And uh, you know, it, uh, it it sucks to learn it the hard way, but uh, but man, yeah, I almost uh, did. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, it, <laughs> I've. It, I've never understood that thinking where it's like, okay, I'll, I'll just, uh, as long as statistics theoretically protect me, I don't need to be practically protected in the event that this, that I'm the anomaly rather than the statistical trend. Um, but that is, uh, how it, how it ends up going. Well, that is the approach that many people take to things that they don't want to look at truthfully or, or, or with any, it's a scary thing. It's a scary proposition to think about. Right. And I think a lot of people would rather just turn a blind eye to it and not, not think about it because it's easier, quite frankly, it is. But um, the repercussions for it later could be could be not good. Yeah. So. All right, Adam, did you have anything else you wanted to ask Matt? I have one last question for him before we wrap up here. Uh, Matt, tell us your why. Tell us behind what you do, who you are, and not just your your professional side of your your website and all that you do. But um, I've gotten to know you through the power of the internet recently. The first time we've actually met here, and and, and it's very impressive to me. And the why is always more important than the how to me. So I'm I'm curious, what's your why? You just mean as like a motivator, or the reason why I do what I do, or yeah, the, the motivators behind it, the, hmm. the the reasons. Yeah, help people, all that other stuff. But uh, but what's what's the grounding basis well, I, behind it? I think that the the reason I do what I do is a lot of what you just spoke to with the question that I asked you, which is to preserve a solid philosophical foundation for our country and for our society. I got into this as a pure hobby. I, I started making video game content on YouTube ten years ago. Hmm. And it was just my friends and I messing around on Call of Duty. And if you've ever played online video games, you'll know that the people who yell at you, or at least when they used to allow that, the people who yell at you, it's always hilarious. And I started recording that and it was a hobby thing. And then over time, it built into something else. And one thing led to another and it became a little more viable. And I wanted to talk about politics and news and all these things. But as all of that happened, suddenly I'm watching as kind of as I described the people that I thought were my team or the people that I thought agreed with started diminishing or attacking what I thought we all agreed were the founding values, the idea that, well, even if that person disagrees with me, he has not just the rights to speak, but a whole host of rights that go along with being a fellow citizen of this country or just being a human being. Suddenly it was like, no, no, if that guy says something we don't like, he has to be shut down. We have to diminish his ability to speak. We have to deperson him if we, if we can. And that really has, has pushed me into what I do now. And and the reason I continue to do it is because I, I mean, I, I, I'm highly entertained by the theater of politics and I just, I like the show, but I, I really do care about preserving the values that built this country and made it great. And I see them, 
under freak, uh, commonly under attack, but commonly misunderstood mm-hmm. in sort of the way we were talking about earlier, where we think that our country, for example, like as, as you as you mentioned, that this is that democracy is a founding value or the, the cornerstone value when in fact it isn't. Or we think that we are that we have certain concepts of why our country is the way that it is that have sort of morphed over time or become, I suppose, distanced from from what they were originally. And, and so that's how and why I try to break down current events is 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 a through that sort of philosophical or first principles type lens and, uh, and, and to try to extract the bigger, broader points than just say like whatever Tuesday's news is or something like that. So if you're okay, Laura, I'd like to dig into this a little bit better. If you got just a few more minutes. Um, So we've kind of been doing the overall, you know, 50,000 view view of this thing. We've not dug into exact issues uh, particularly. Um, But as you began to do that, let's, I don't know if it mean, it meant you had to kind of grow personal courage um, or just, just decide, you know, I don't care what other people think. I'm going to lay my views out there. Mm. I'd be curious about how that began for you, but have you found that as you, started on an online platform that's grown exponentially here, literally more specifically stating your views in the political arena, uh, uh, probably uh, business, religious, all the other things that you do. Did you find that that changed your 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 circle of friends, that, that family either grew closer, grew distant, friends the same? Um, did, did you find that you lost business through it, that it grew? Um, mm. that, that step of courage that a lot of people are afraid to have, um, how did that affect you? Yeah. Uh, well, the way I got into this on a, like a full-time basis was I, I did a, a normal desk job while sort of doing this on the side. And kind of hoping that the employer would never discover the material that it was under an online <laughs> moniker because, you know, but uh, and, and they never did. But uh, eventually I was placed under the management of someone I didn't really get along with and and, and didn't it wasn't really working out. And my channel was a very uh, small, uh, you know, small, but not insignificant thing. Uh, but it was one of those cases where the world was just telling me, you're not you're not supposed to be doing this. Whatever it is that that you're doing at this desk, that's not it. Even though it was a comfortable job with decent benefits and OK pay, it was perfectly it's perfectly fine. But and it was so it, there was risk to leaving that. Uh, it, it made no sense at the time. But I remember calling my mom and saying, listen, I I'm not supposed to be doing this job. Um, I'm going to take what I have and try to build a YouTube channel and uh, we'll see how it goes. And she's like, what? My mom's very supportive and she's great. So she said, okay. uh, All right. And the worst I would have had to suffer is the indignity of moving into my mom's basement. Uh, But I I didn't. And so it was a lot of it was just circumstance of life. And then combined with necessity of uh, metaphorically being thrown into the water and it's like, you're swimming now, either you, either this works or you're going to crash and burn and have to pick up the pieces and start over. So that's, that's how that happened. And thankfully I was able to build something that became uh, sustainable, but it, it really has changed my life in every way by my own choice though. And that's what I'm grateful for uh, because a lot of people who are politically outspoken, especially in the last few years, I think, um, you lose friends and family because you have some sort of forbidden opinion or you voted for the wrong guy or whatever. That's not really what's happened with me 
but through the relationships that I've built online, I've become convinced I've become a lot more clear headed about who belongs in your life and why, and making sure that everybody who you include in your life wants to be there, provides a purpose, uh, is not someone who is dragging you down for their own reasons without contributing anything of value to you. And I know that sounds very cutthroat and the reality is it kind of is. Um, and it's very scary. Like I consider myself a loyal person. I try to, um, try to maintain loyalty to, to friends and family, of course, but, um, you have to be evaluating what relationships are important to you and to, to have that courage to leave them behind when they are not providing that value. And so there was a period of my life as I built this channel, probably the last, uh, I don't know, this started probably late 2016, early 2017 when some of the relationships I'd built online had helped, helped convince me to move beyond things that were not, helpful in my life. And and that led me to find new friends who are much better resources in my life to find my wife and to have the family that I have now because of that encouragement, which I'm hugely grateful for. Um, and, and is, is, sometimes you think it's, just, I, I guess I, I maintained a lot of friendships and had a lot of relationships that were they were long, they were long standing relationships, but you realize it's like, well, what, what are we doing or what is the value here other than we've been friends for a long time or something, you know, like, is there actually a shared fundamental value and purpose that we have here? Are we building something or are we just kind of, th- this is the way it is. Cause that's the way it's always been. And there's- so could you speak, could you speak a little bit to the, to your balance between not creating an echo chamber within mm. your relationships to, to having the, the, the critical, um, the, the willingness to disagree without it becoming, um, maintaining a relationship without people that are willing to make it a, a, a destroyed relationship, yeah. right? Because oftentimes when people do what you're doing, I've found people end up, they create either an A and a echo chamber and they lose, you know, right? They lose concept to reality. Yeah. And it sounds like you've threaded that line really well. So doing that, because our audience, I think, could learn from your wisdom here, would you be willing to talk to that? Yeah, about how to maintain uh, how to maintain pushback in your relationships, I suppose. Yeah. Um, well, that's that's a big. Though. That's a big. When I talk about the values that are important to me to maintain my friendship, the ones that have survived for me um, are the ones who are open minded in that way. Uh, and I'm glad that you clarified that point because it's not like every. It's not like I have this long list of requirements to be my friend or. Uh, to maintain a family relationship or something like that. Family in particular is extremely important. And I think if yeah. you can give anybody the benefit of the doubt, it's gotta be family member, uh, a family member preserving family integrity is, is right up there with the top values that, that should be upheld. So for me, um, if, if you're the sort of person that, that can allow someone else to hold a differing view and not, uh, view them as morally inferior or or try to sabotage them in some way or stop them from speaking. That's a huge starting point. The The friendships that have maintained for me are those people. Some of them are political. Some of them are not at all. But they're the sort of person that can have a good faith discussion with someone they disagree with. And and so I obviously that's something that I try to uphold 
myself as well. Um, I've tried to change even on the gun topic. There are several friends' minds uh, who I've, I've tried to change. And, uh, you know, people changed my mind in the first place. And, and the ones that work well, even if they don't come around to the concept of guns, they're still interested in the reason why I think what I think. And they're, and they're really being open-minded. Yeah. Uh, and instead of, instead of thinking like, okay, that guy likes guns, so he's a Nazi or something like that, you know, like whatever. Uh, that, that's, um, I suppose, how, how do you thread that line? Well, I suppose that's probably the, the main point of evaluation for me is, can you have a, a, a amicable conversation of disagreement? And if you can, like big points, you'll probably stick around for me. Um, there are, you know, obviously I, I want to surround myself with people of value alignment in general, but I, I'm not going to become so hostile to, to ideas that I don't like as to exclude people from my entire life because they don't agree with me on every single thing. That itself would be a betrayal of the entire reason I got into this in the first place. Um, so I don't know if that answers your question perfectly squarely, but... <laughs> that's 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 i suppose my thinking on it so if i nutshelled it um could we say wildly disparate views no matter what it is but yet both an openness on either side to be willing to not only tolerate but to celebrate somebody's other's different viewpoint and being kind of open with it would that would that be okay yeah someone who's not uh Someone who's not enraged by the question why, I suppose. You know, it's, a, it's like the little kid thing or the Socratic method that's, uh, yeah. you should be able to answer the question why. And I, of course, include myself in that. If someone comes to me and asks, why do you think what you think? I'm not going to become shocked or outraged because that, that implies yeah. that they might disagree. I, that's how we find the best ideas in the world is, is mm -hmm. we ask why we get to those first principles. We allow ideas to compete and the best ones rise and the truth emerges. And, um, and, and if, and if you're someone who is on board with that, I think there's a lot of, uh, <laughs> there's, there's probably some at least friendly relationship we can maintain if we can, if we can get there, but that's becoming uh, less and less common. It seemed, I mean, I don't know when I was in school 10 years ago, like uh, I didn't consider myself conservative, libertarian, whatever at the time, but they had their clubs on campus and they were cool. I liked those guys. I didn't necessarily agree with them, but like, it's not like I wanted them shut down or their, their club banned or their speakers banned from campus or something like that. It's like, those are, those are good guys who I think are wrong and I would probably vote against, but that's okay. And we, we need to get we need to get back to that somehow. But but I don't know how you do that without that core value that we were just talking about. Wow, really good stuff. And we went past the mark, Matt, that you told us we That's needed right. to go to. So I apologize. Anything for, for that. a fellow we Montanan, but I appreciate the. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I appreciate we you hosting. The Thank you. Yes, of course. You've been a pleasure. I would love to uh, have you on again. In fact, I could probably picture you being someone I could have on, you know, a few times a year, even if yes. you were, if you were open sure. to yeah, that. We can, I think we can talk be, about that. Yeah, definitely. So, but thank you for your time and um, we'll be in touch then. All right. Thanks for hosting me, guys. Pleasure to meet you both. Thank you. Thank you.